Well, this morning we continue our series, He Gets Us, and we're going to be looking at Matthew 27, uh, 45 through 54. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to Matthew uh, chapter 27. In your pew Bible, that's going to be page 865. But as always, we love to start each and every sermon in this series by going back to our thematic verse, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, which says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I guess I would say one of my hopes is that by the end of this series, that verse is in your heart and that you can recall it at any moment when you have a time of need, a time to remember who our Jesus truly is. Because this verse, as it has been, helps ground us in every narrative of Jesus that we have thus been looking at. It reminds us why Jesus is our perfect high priest upon whom we can place our every hope in our greatest need. And so far, as we've walked through many of these narratives, we've walked through Jesus' own anxiety that he experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what we realize is that Jesus in that time of anxiety, was demonstrating for us how it is an invitation into relationship with God. And then we turned our attention to Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness and how that was an example of isolation, a place of temptation. And yet, Jesus shows us that we were deeply made for relationship with each other and that isolation is not a part of God's design for us. And then we saw in the death of Lazarus this invitation to wait, to sit in periods of waiting, which is a place where we can grow in deeper trust Increased trust in our Father God. And by having increased trust, we end up seeing greater glory. And finally, last week, we saw Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth. And how in his own town, where people would have known him and should have known him best, end up rejecting him. But when we are rejected by the world... We realize that Jesus accepts us even in our deepest sin and greatest need. And now today we turn to Matthew 27, 45 through 54. Now, from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling to Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, as we hear these words, Lord, as we hear the culmination of Jesus' entire carnation in one moment, Lord, let our eyes and hearts be open to hear and to receive. Lord, this passage speaks much and much could be said about it, but today we turn our attention to one thing. How does Jesus relate to us in this experience? How is it in hearing these words we know that Jesus gets us? And so, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself through the power of your Holy Spirit in these words. And that you would make very much of yourself in them. And make very little of he who speaks them. God, we love you. In your holy and precious name that we pray. So as we open today's passage, we've already explored and experienced Jesus' anxiety in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was betrayed. That's what's leading up to this moment that puts him on the cross. We saw that together will recall that he had three of his closest friends with him in that moment as he went to pray, but they couldn't even be bothered to stay awake with him in those final hours. And then following his betrayal and his arrest, one of his closest friends denies his friendship to him three times. Peter, how Could he, we imagine, this is the exact same person when Jesus told him beforehand, you're going to deny me. He said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And yet he did the very thing he said he would not. And then at the crucifixion, the gospel reveals that there are a multitude of different people present at the cross. But you would be surprised that as you read the passages again and again and again, you notice one glaring group missing, his disciples. In fact, Scripture reveals that only one disciple was present at the cross, John, the beloved disciple. 
John was the only one that showed up at his death. Can you imagine after spending three intimate and close years with a group of growing and trusted close friends that none of them showed up to your last moment on earth? What a lonesome situation that must have been for the Son of Man. Now, quite frankly, none of us can put ourselves in that position precisely because as of right now, we are all here in this room, not on our deathbeds, wondering why it is that we feel so lonely in our final moments. In fact, actually, uh, studies show, and through a lot of research, simply by asking questions, on most people's deathbeds in their final moments, they don't ask many, or they don't say that they regret many things, but one thing, that they didn't spend more time with those that were closest to them. And so you can imagine then how we, in our only time in this present world, in our lives, we remember those and experience those times of loneliness. We've already talked about isolation, but I want to make a very clear distinction between the two. You see, isolation, as we talked about, was real separation, physical separation from the presence of others. And we talked about it in two ways, whether it was forced or self-inflicted isolation. But loneliness is a very different thing. In fact, the APA defines loneliness as a state of distress or discomfort that results when one perceives a gap between one's desires for social connection and actual experiences. In other words, you don't necessarily need to be isolated in order to experience loneliness. I can actually remember one of the times that I experienced loneliness the greatest is not in my times that I was alone, but it was in the times that I was surrounded by other people felt like there was a disconnect between me and them. It felt as if I was surrounded by others and yet I was totally alone in their presence. And maybe you too have felt that same grip on your heart at a time when you are surrounded by people, by people that you love, that you connected to in so many ways, and yet in that singular moment you felt all alone, as if nobody that you were with could understand what it was that you were going through. As if there was something that disconnected, that disjointed, that social interaction, and you can't quite feel like you were with somebody else. It was as if you were the only person in the room. In the Jewish culture, they actually have something called sitting shiva. When you're at the, when you are in the grieving process, you actually have others come and grieve with you. Their entire purpose is to sympathize. As you emote one emotion, they join you in that same emotion in order to connect with you in that time so that you don't feel so alone in this process. And so where isolation is about Separation, And that's not to say that you can't feel lonely when you're isolated. 
You most definitely can, but I want us to make sure that we are making a distinction between the two. Because you can be isolated and not feel lonely. In fact, many times when it's self-inflicted isolation, it's because we don't feel lonely and we want to get alone. We want to withdraw from the world. But here, here in this moment on the cross, we see Jesus' loneliness. But I want to make also another distinction that Jesus' loneliness is not because his disciples were missing at his feet. So let's read these verses one more time. Verse 45 through 46. And now from the sixth hour, that is noon, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour, that is three. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. It is in Jesus' final moments on the cross that for the very first time, He experiences separation from the Father. For all eternity past, Jesus had never known what it was like to be not in full communion with the Godhead. He could not fathom fathom separation from communion with the Father and with the Spirit. So much so that when we think about loneliness, being social separation... And social dysfunction of not being known or understood, Jesus in that very moment experienced the greatest pain of loneliness by the likes we can never know or ever experience in history past or in the future. Quite simply put, Jesus was in a perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit so much so that for any disconnection was a loneliness unlike we could ever experience. Sure, we have in our lives disconnection with friends and with family that might cause us to feel like there's break in our social fabric and relationship with them where we might feel lonely and misunderstood like we can't connect to them. But can you imagine being in perfect relationship with the Father and then in one single moment have that that relationship completely severed? Jesus quite literally was all alone as he hung on the cross. In our humanity, we only ever get to experience to a degree what it is like to know and to be known. But at this moment, the one who knew Jesus the best, knew Jesus perfectly, separated himself from Jesus. Our postlude today is how deep the Father's love for us. And I 
love that hymn. And there's this one line in that hymn that goes, How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. The Father turns His face away from the Son. He is separated in His relationship to the Son. And so the Son feels the infinite loneliness of not knowing what it is to have His closest confidant next to Him as He breathes His last breath. What pain of loneliness that Jesus felt in that moment. You see, quite frankly, it should have been the greatest celebration. I mean, it was his wounds upon him which brought us, the sons, into glory. It was a party for him, for him to be glorified. And yet, instead of being known and celebrated for this work, his father turns his face away. can't imagine this separation. It's impossible for us to comprehend it. But we receive this glimpse, not because it is to one-up us in our moments of loneliness, but in fact it is to reveal the very heart of Christ who experienced the great pain of searing loss. To know infinite loneliness so he could greatly sympathize with us in our loneliness. You see, Jesus cares that much, that, that deeply about, uh, for us, that he is willing to experience loneliness to a degree that we could never fathom so that he could understand us in our loneliest of moments. I love how the passage continues. And, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. You see, it wouldn't have been unheard of to hear one calling out to someone in the midst of their suffering on a cross. It wouldn't be unheard of for them to call out to God or to call out to one of the prophets who were workers of miracles as Elijah was. And so for them, they saw Jesus on the cross, one who had no escape from his present condition. And so they heard him crying out, and certainly they were wondering whether or not Elijah truly would come down and save him. And so in the middle of crying out to God... One of these bystanders decides to fill a sponge with some sour wine and give it to Jesus. Now let's, let's make clear, contextually speaking, sour wine wasn't something mean to do. It was simply the most common and available beverage that the centurions would have been drinking at the time. And so he just simply filled a sponge with the sour wine to give it to Christ on the cross. And though we can't really understand the motives of this person, he was trying to do something good, something kind, as Jesus suffered. I mean, maybe he had the belief that Elijah would show up. 
And if Eliza showed up, then certainly he would want to be on the right side of the situation. So might as well give Jesus a little bit of the sour wine. But that being said, how can we hear that and relate to it? My question is how many of you in your time of loneliness has gone to tell a friend that you're feeling lonely, that you feel like you're all alone in response, though trying to do the right thing, though trying to give us some sour wine, responds, but you're never alone. God is with you. God is right there. Jesus loves you. You're not alone. How many of us have experienced that in our own loneliness? Someone trying to comfort us by telling us, well, God is with you. One, I can't tell you how many times I've been on the receiving end of that comment. But in full transparency, I can't tell you how many times I have been the one giving that comment. Here's the thing. In those moments, when we are at our most vulnerable or those that we love are at their most vulnerable, willing to confess that they feel alone and lonely in this world. When they decide to open about, up about something that truly hurts. Should we then respond? Well, God is with you. It's okay. Or, though we were trying to do the right thing and reassuring them that they're not alone, instead of bringing sour wine, what if in that moment we alleviated their pain by literally becoming the presence that they needed? It's so easy at times to spiritualize every little thing that when somebody says that they're alone and that they're lonely, our response is immediately to go to Jesus. And I'm not saying that's bad. But if you don't bring Jesus with yourself into that moment, what are we really doing as the children of God for one another? Be the alleviation to their loneliness in those moments. Step in where nobody else would step. And I'm not saying that it's going to be perfect every single time and that they're going to receive you and that their loneliness is going to go away. But so many times we miss the opportunity for the ministry of simple presence, of being with one another in the moment of their greatest vulnerability. After all, if we weren't made for isolation, then we certainly weren't made to be alone. Be with as Christ is with. And so now I get to contradict myself with the next phrase. And then Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. 
Yes, be with somebody in the ministry of presence. But in that ministry of presence, remind them that God is with them. Don't just let it be a pithy cliche that Christians say, but live into the reality of God with us because God is in you. Hebrews 9, 3 through 5 tells us that behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was the golden urn holding the manna, an Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat." Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. What Matthew is saying in this passage, when he says in there that behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, there is not a scholar that debates that the curtain that they are talking about is the curtain that covers the most holy of holies. That is the place in the temple where God's manifest presence on earth resides. And there was only one person that was allowed to go in there one day in the entire year, and that was the most high, or that was the high priest at the time. And he went in there on the day of atonement to make reconciliation for the sins of himself and the people. And so on this day, as Jesus gave up his spirit. That curtain was torn in two. What was happening in that moment was God was saying, no longer will I reside in one place for one person. But now I will reside in all places for all people who have called upon the name of my son as their own. God has now made himself present to every single one of us to have a relationship with him. He does this through his Holy Spirit who has made dwelling within us. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? God chose not only to forego the limitations of his presence, but to establish his residence in those who are in Christ Jesus, who have believed upon the work and the person of his Son. So quite literally, those who have called upon Christ are never alone. We can never be alone. God himself has chosen to take dwelling within us. By nature, we are fallen beings. We sin. We sin toward one another. We're going to 
sin all the time. We are going to break relationships. We are going to hurt one another. We are not going to know each other as we should. We are going to cause separation. We're going to tear social fabrics between one another all the time, continually, until the day that we meet Jesus face to face. We are going to do it. But there is one who knows us better than we even know ourselves. And he will never, ever break communion with you. He broke communion with his son for a moment in time so that he may never, ever, ever break communion ever, ever, ever again. And it is in knowing us that God took his residence within us to become our closest and dearest friend. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with me. It's the great Christmas reminder that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And that we cannot be separated from him. Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I share with you that, that, that contradiction, though it may sound, is no contradiction at all. Because the reality for each and every one of us, that when we believe ourselves to be alone, when loneliness has set in and we feel as though there is no one who understands and no one who is concerned, we can turn to the one who has the greatest understanding and has the greatest concern the same one who stepped into all of humanity, became incarnate, became weak like we are, humiliated himself even to death upon a cross, that he would bear our sin, that we might have his righteousness, him who steps into our loneliness because he understands. We can turn to him. We can turn to him. I'm not saying that we use it as a pithy cliche when somebody expresses they are alone, but that we would be reminded right here and right now that when we experience loneliness, we can go to him. I actually love how Dane Ortland says it in his book, Gentle and Lonely. He says, Jesus offers us friendship that gets underneath the pain of our loneliness. And while that pain does not go away, its sting is made fully bearable by the far more deeper friendship of Jesus Christ. You see, that is good news for all of us. He's not saying that the pain of loneliness is going to go away because we remember him. Because we know that we are not alone in him. But it makes our time alone in loneliness bearable because we have a Christ who experienced it like we did, like we do. And that's why we have to keep going back to our thematic passage that tells us that he is one who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. In understanding that he experienced 
an infinite degree of loneliness on the cross, we too can then understand that he understands our loneliness. And that the friendship to Jesus can make it all the more bearable because he does understand unlike any other. And then the ultimate hope, the ultimate hope of of knowing Jesus in that way, of knowing that he can step into our loneliness. I I love how the the passage continues. It says that the tombs also were opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs. After his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion, those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they, filled, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There's a very present and real reality that in the moment that Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn and people were raised from the dead and walked out of their tombs. But in the moment of our loneliness, we can see also that when Jesus steps into our lonely hearts, into the moments of our suffering, he can raise our dead heart to life. He can raise us from the most hardest and heartache moments, make them bearable so that we ultimately may come to say, truly, this was the Son of God. And what would it look like if we were a church that in the midst of loneliness, in the midst of seeing those who are experiencing loneliness, in the midst of our own loneliness, we're able to fully and completely turn ourselves to Jesus and experience him as our greatest friend. One, what compassion would that create within us? That in our moments of loneliness, we knew how to turn to Jesus and experience Him to the full through the power of the Holy Spirit. But more than that, as we've experienced it, and we see it experienced in the lives of those that sit next to us, how much more can we be Jesus to them And instead of just offering them, well, God is always with you. You're not alone. We actually stepped into their loneliness and demonstrated the incarnate Christ to them. What kind of church would we become? What kind of community would we create? Who wouldn't want to be a part of that life together. Let us know Jesus that in our loneliest moments He steps in and in others' loneliest moments we can step in. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, I am thankful that You went to the cross And though all your friends deserted you, and though the Father turned his face away, you still trusted and believed for what was to come. That many sons and daughters would come to glory. And so, Lord, we thank you that in our loneliest moments, 
you step in and make us whole. We love you, Lord. Amen.